Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful people with the power of your love. Take our minds and think through them. Take our lips and speak through them. Take our souls and set them on fire. Amen. About 35 years ago, I was staying with my grandparents in their hometown of Bryan, Texas. My grandmother and I decided to go on an afternoon outing. We were about 10 miles from home, and we got stuck. We didn't know how we were going to get home, and we knew that my grandfather was out of reach. So with no other options really except for our feet, my grandmother decided that we would walk home. Well, after a good while, we got really tired. We weren't getting anywhere fast, and it was starting to get dark. And we were in a part of town that was considered by some as the other side of the tracks. A car drives by and pulls up next to us. A window rolls down, and a woman asks if we're okay. My grandmother explains what's going on, and so the woman offers us a ride home. I, as a kid, was a little apprehensive. After all, I was taught not to speak to any strangers. Now, my grandmother would talk to just about anybody. So she decided to find out more about this person. So she wanted to see if she knew this woman or someone who might have known her, and sure enough, she did. So we hopped into the car, and the nice woman drove us home. Well, for the rest of the evening, my grandmother was on the phone with her friends, telling them what had happened and how a good Samaritan came to our aid. Good Samaritan? Well, yes, in the sense, that's true. It was wonderful to get a ride home. But the woman was simply being nice and offered us hospitality of some sort. She was being kind. She was being a good neighbor. And most sermons you've heard probably in the past about this passage have all been about how you might be a nicer person, a better neighbor, trying harder to be a better person for the world. All well and good. But that's not the gospel message for today. This parable actually disturbs me every time I hear it. Yep, disturbs me every time. And here's why. The Samaritans were despised. They were considered a threat. The Samaritans, historically, they were the people who got left behind when the Babylonians conquered Jerusalem and exiled the Jews and made them go to Babylon. The Samaritans were the leave-behinds. They remained. And so when the Jews returned from their exile several centuries later, those Samaritans who actually remained were deemed heretics. They were no longer part of the fold of the Jewish people who had endured so much. Maybe these Jews that are newly arriving in Jerusalem after the exile thought that the Samaritans stood in the way of making Jerusalem great again. So when tested and asked, who is my neighbor? 
Notice the characters that Jesus includes in the story. The people who observe but do not help. A priest and a Levite. Both people who are considered people who should be in the know about the things of God. They walk by and do nothing. Nothing. But the outcast, the heretic, the Samaritan actually approaches the man who is different than he is, approaches and binds up his wounds. This despised figure takes great risks. And I want to tell you a little bit about the risks. First, a Samaritan approaching a presumably religious Jew from Jerusalem on an open country road is a recipe for trouble. You never know. Could be considered an attack. Recent events in our news have been quite similar. Approaching a stranger has risks. Second, the Samaritan has to get help. There was no 911. So he has to carry him on his animal down the road into the closest town, probably Jericho, a town for Jews, not for Samaritans. The Samaritan is on the wrong side of the tracks. This is a recipe for disaster. But the Samaritan goes ahead and finds an innkeeper and offers to pay for help. But here's where it's extraordinary. Finally, the Samaritan is taking all these risks and he decides to take another risk. He not only offers to pay the innkeeper, but he pledges to come back and pay the rest of the bill. Once again, putting himself at great personal and financial risk for a stranger who probably has been taught all of his life to hate the other man. This is who Jesus says we are to be when asked, who is my neighbor? This is unsettling. I get nervous and anxious when I really think about what this parable is telling us. And when I thought about it more over this last week, it reminds me of what the disciples say when they ask Jesus, Lord, then who can be saved? This parable really isn't about being a nice person at all. We all know that our nation has been reeling this week from some of the worst domestic civil unrest and violence in many of our lifetimes. We are hurting. I am not offering you easy solutions to any of this. But I do want us to think a little more about this parable and what it might mean for us. Jesus is calling on his followers and the religious establishment of his time to reorder their thoughts, to change their minds, to reorient their minds, to go beyond what seems reasonable to be merciful and good neighbors, to go beyond what seems reasonable. Who are our Samaritans? Who are they? Anyone whom we call enemy, anyone whom we cannot see their full humanity, anyone who we despise, or really anyone who we wish just simply didn't exist because they are a problem. These are our Samaritans. 
and we're asked to bring mercy. An abundant and risk-taking mercy to them in a way that we can't even logically comprehend. If we are to love God with all our heart, mind, and soul, and we're to love our neighbors as ourselves, then we need to love all of our neighbors. The ones who are easy to love, and the ones we'd rather forget about. This is the heart of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is not about being nice. This is about loving beyond our own personal limit. We cannot do this individually ourselves. We must collectively love. And we must love alongside the love of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is the one who can love anybody. Jesus is the one who can love anybody. We can't. We might say that we can. But we cannot. Jesus is the one who can love anybody. And with the presence of Jesus' divine love working through us as a community, yes, we can go out and seek out our Samaritans in our world and become real neighbors to them by showing them mercy and maybe binding up some old decaying wounds And even offering to put ourselves at risk. Even if it means it costs us something personally to do this work. This is how we love our neighbors as ourselves. Jesus helps us love beyond our own capacity to love. Well then you say, I don't think I can do this at all. It's too tough. This kind of mercy is going to destroy me. It's going to destroy all of us. I don't think so. Jesus wouldn't have told the parable as he did if he ultimately thought it would lead to destruction. If anything, maybe the parable gives us courage. The parable helps us see that we can do this And that will emerge stronger and more loving to face the days to come. Jesus helps us go where we ourselves cannot go. To ask the questions that we're scared to ask, but that we need to ask. Jesus allows us to take the risks to open ourselves up so that our common humanity can be revealed to one another so that we can start building up the beloved community of the kingdom of God. And with Christ, we can start healing the world. We have to trust Jesus, and we have to take risks. Here's one way that might play out. This story was told to me thanks to Don Conley. It's a story about an African-American woman who was vacationing this week on the island of St. Thomas in the U.S. Virgin Islands. The story is in her words. In the clear waters of St. Thomas, a white couple came up to me, and the wife, out of nowhere, says, What's your nationality? I'm black. Oh, good. 
And then she rattles off a litany of questions about my thoughts on Dallas, Black Lives Matter, and what she should do. She was from a suburb of Cincinnati, had no personal black friends, and her community was comprised mostly of Italian Catholics by her description. She qualified every sentence with, I hope I don't offend you, and made statements that were far from offensive. She kept asking me why, why, why? I asked if she cooked. She said yes. So I said, racism is a key ingredient in the recipe for the United States. Most importantly, it's the salt in the stew. And you know you can't take the salt out of the stew. Maybe you can change your mind about the carrots and pull them out. Or maybe one of your kids doesn't like onions, so you can toss those to the side. But there's not a darn thing you can do to get the salt out of the stew. She looked at me and started to cry. And now imagine having high blood pressure, being on a salt-restricted diet, and being forced to eat that stew every day. Does this make sense to you what I'm saying? I've never heard it explained that way before. I know you haven't because you've never come into the chef's kitchen. The chef has given you the privilege of wearing the white hat and the apron. The problem is you've yet to realize that the salt in that stew, the salt in that stew has been destroying your insides all along every day of your life. Being a good neighbor might have you start uncomfortable conversations. Being a good Samaritan might have you take risks, risks for unity or understanding. Letting Jesus help us be the good Samaritans in the world might just be the solution to everything we're seeing right now all around us. How will you be the one who takes a risk, the one who helps, the one who shows mercy?